listening to the English language news of Khan, the Israeli Public Broadcasting Corporation. It's 8 p.m. in Israel, Thursday, February the 29th, 2024. In the headlines, two Israelis are murdered in a terror shooting near the settlement Eli. The gunman, identified as a Palestinian police officer, is shot and killed. Palestinians say 100 people died in a crush around humanitarian aid trucks in the Gaza Strip. Hamas blames Israel. The IDF says it did not fire on the crowd. They were killed and trampled in the stampede. President Biden says the Gaza incident will complicate talks on a hostage release. Rocket barrages on northern Israel from Lebanon throughout the day. No reported injuries. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, in a televised address a short while ago, reiterated commitment to achieving total victory over Hamas and resisting international pressure to end the war prematurely. On the row over draft exemptions for yeshiva students, Netanyahu says there will never be total agreement on this issue, but it is possible to reach understandings on quotas for service. He also outlines benefits for discharged soldiers. The weather outlook warmer with possible haze tomorrow. Chance of light local rain overnight in the north spreading to the center. Good evening. This is Nomi Segal with the news. Two Israeli men were murdered in a shooting attack at the gas station next to the settlement of Eli this evening. The gunman was shot dead at the scene by an armed civilian. The murdered Israelis, a 57-year-old man and a man in his 20s, were pronounced dead at the scene. Here's remarks given by Magendavita Dome paramedic Arye Myers. At 5.08 this evening, a report was received in the Magendavita Dome 101 emergency call center in the Jerusalem region of a shooting incident outside the community of Amy. Reports of two unconscious males at the scene, MDA, EMTs and paramedics were arrived on scene, performed a medical assessment and paramedics on scene unfortunately realized that their injuries were too severe and pronounced them dead on scene. Again, defeated John Paramedic R.A. Myers. The gunman was identified in Palestinian reports as Mohammed Manasra, a 31-year-old Palestinian police officer from Kalandia. He had been previously jailed in Israel for weapons dealing. According to reports, he arrived at the scene in a stolen car armed with an M16 rifle. The attack occurred at the same location as a deadly terror assault last summer in which four Israelis were murdered. It also comes amid heightened tensions ahead of the start of the Muslim holy month of Ramadan. In the Gaza Strip, the deaths of dozens of Palestinians in a crush around aid trucks today has stepped up condemnations of Israel and could amplify calls for a ceasefire while complicating talks on a hostage release deal. Hamas blamed Israel for the incident, while the IDF said the casualties were the result of Palestinians being trampled as crowds stormed and looted the aid trucks. According to Palestinians, more than 100 people were killed and some 700 others were injured in the incident while waiting for distribution of humanitarian aid near Gaza City. According to the IDF, when 30 humanitarian aid trucks entered northern Gaza this morning, a crowd of about 1,000 people swarmed to the trucks and looted the supplies being delivered. Reports were received of gunmen opening fire on the aid trucks. 
The army said dozens of Gazans were killed and injured as a result of the pushing, trampling and being run over by the trucks. The IDF said that some individuals broke away from the crowd and approached Israeli forces stationed in the area, endangering them. The forces fired in the air, and when some of the Palestinians continued moving toward them, fired at their legs. An IDF official was quoted as saying the initial probe indicated that the troops only hit some 10 Palestinians. The IDF also released aerial video showing the crowd surrounding the trucks. Israeli government spokesperson Avi Hyman commented on the Gaza incident in an online briefing earlier today. I can tell you this is a developing um, situation. Um, My understanding this far, and this is unfolding as I say, and developing. My understanding thus far is that uh, humanitarian aid vehicles entered the Gaza Strip and were overwhelmed by... uh, People attempting to essentially loot to uh, to take that uh, aid um, from those aid trucks, and at some point, and we can you, you can surely see this in some of the videos that the IDF have distributed. At some point, the trucks were overwhelmed, and the people driving the trucks, which were Gazan uh, Gazan civilian drivers, uh, plowed into. Um, the crowds of people, uh, ultimately killing, uh, my understanding is, tens of people. I, I don't have anything more specific to that. It is unfolding. And I'll ask you to uh, stay in close touch with the IDF spokesman's unit um, for more information. It's obviously uh, a tragedy, but we're not sure of the specifics um, quite yet. Israeli government spokesperson Avi Hyman. The Biden administration has been warning Israeli officials for weeks about the breakdown of law and order in the enclave. A con reporter says the White House has asked Israel for explanations over this morning's incident in the Gaza Strip. Earlier, a spokesperson for the White House National Security Council said, This is a serious incident and we are looking into the reports. We mourn the loss of innocent life and recognize the dire humanitarian situation in Gaza where innocent Palestinians are just trying to feed their families. U.S. President Joe Biden in remarks to reporters before departing the White House for the U.S.-Mexico border said the United States is currently checking out the differing versions over what happened in Gaza today. But in response to a question, he said he knows the incident will complicate the negotiations on a temporary ceasefire and hostage deal. Biden also tamped down remarks he made earlier this week that had predicted a ceasefire deal by Monday. Things eternal. I was on the telephone with the people in the region. I'm still probably not by Monday, but I'm hopeful. You know what's going on in Gaza City? More than a hundred civilians were killed. I guess we're checking that out right now. The two competing versions will happen. I don't have an answer yet. Are you worried that will complicate the negotiations? I know will. U.S. President Joe Biden. Hamas, in a statement, accused Israel of committing a massacre against Palestinian civilians and accused the Biden administration of giving cover to Israel's aggression. The Hamas spokesperson, Isat al-Rishk, said the group told mediators in the hostage talks that the negotiations are not open-ended and we won't allow it to be used as cover for crimes against the Palestinians in Gaza. 
Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas stressed in a statement that Israel is responsible for the heinous massacre in his words and said it was an integral part of the Israeli war of genocide against the Palestinian people. The Jordanian and Egyptian foreign ministries also issued statements condemning Israel and accusing it of attacking Palestinian civilians. Meanwhile, National Security Minister Itamar Ben-Gvir said of today's incident that the provision of humanitarian aid to Palestinians also endangers Israeli soldiers in the Gaza Strip, calling it another clear reason why Israel must stop transferring this aid. Day 146 of the Israel-Hamas war, rocket fire on both northern and southern Israel today. In the south, a rocket fell outside Kibbutz Sad in the Sedot Negev Regional Council in the Gaza periphery. No one was injured and no damage was caused. In the north, a rocket salvo was fired toward the western Galilee. There were no reports of injuries or damage. Earlier, a suspicious aerial target was intercepted near Haifa. There were no reports of injuries or damage. Near Admit, a rocket fell in an open area. This morning, a salvo of 10 rockets and a mortar shell were fired from southern Lebanon at the IDF base in Rosh Hashanah. No one was injured and no damage was caused. The IDF retaliated with artillery fire. Israel Air Force fighter jets bombed Hezbollah targets in Lebanon. Syrian media reported last night an airstrike in the Damascus area. Syrian opposition groups said Israeli aircraft attacked three targets in the Syrian capital. Sources affiliated with pro-Iranian militias reported fatalities and casualties in the alleged airstrike. Meanwhile, CNN has reported that the United States is concerned the IDF might invade Lebanon either in late spring or early summer should the diplomatic efforts to repel Hezbollah from the border fence and in failure. According to the report, the Biden administration believes a ground operation will be carried out in the next few months, even though no final decision has yet been made. In the Gaza Strip, after three months in Khan Yunis, the paratroopers brigade have left. A decision was will be made in the next few days about what its next mission will be. The Israeli delegation to the talks in Qatar is scheduled to return to Israel today. The war cabinet and the security cabinet were to convene to discuss those deliberations. Khan News reported last night that the mediators in the talks with Hamas told the Israeli representatives that they anticipated a deal would be reached even before Ramadan begins in another 10 days. That said, the return of displaced Gazan residents to the northern Gaza Strip remains a major issue in contention. And as we reported at the beginning of our program, it is unclear what impact the latest developments today in Gaza might have on those contacts. Families of hostages and supporters today continued their march to Jerusalem, calling on parties involved in ongoing negotiations for a truce in Gaza to close the deal and bring their loved ones back. The four-day march, which began yesterday in the Gaza periphery at the site of the Nova Festival, is winding through different Israeli towns before it is expected to reach the capital on Saturday. A ceremony was held this afternoon at Beit Govrin. Among the march participants are Ronan Chen, father of hostage Itai Chen, and Eti Israeli, Itai Chen's aunt. Speaking to Reuters, they urged reaching a deal now. First Ronan, followed by Eti. Hostages to have the people of Israel united and being behind us and conveying to all parties involved, including the international community, 
to get a deal done and put an end to this humanitarian crisis. I know President Biden is doing everything he can to get a deal done. And we have faith in him and the Prime Minister of Israel to do everything they can to get a deal done. You can see the march. All Israel is with us. All the nation, everybody. We need the cabinet. We need our Prime Minister. We need America, Qatar, Gair, everybody who's in there to close the deal. That's what we're expecting. Et Israeli ant of hostage Teichen and Itai's father, Ronen. Tzvika Moros and Eitan was kidnapped from the Nova Music Festival, told Khan Radio. Israel needs to pretend the hostages were not its top priority so as not to prompt Gaza head Yahya Sinawar into becoming more inflexible in negotiations. Moore said, we have to pretend to the enemy that we don't care about the hostages in order to get a low price for them to return home quickly. And that includes my son. We have to pretend we don't care that we ignore the thing that Sinawar thinks is his greatest asset. Another comment from the family's Batsion Or, whose nephew Avinatan Or was abducted to Gaza from the Nova Festival, told Khan that Hamas will release captives only if Israel fights to the end. In her words, we don't need to enter into a deal with them. There cannot be a deal that chooses between which children leave alive and which ones are left there. A deal that releases 40 hostages tosses tosses away to die the other 100 or nearly 100 who are still there, she said. The state is abandoning Avinatan. The UN High Commissioner for Human Rights today called for an end to Israel's military operation in Gaza, stating that over 100,000 people have been killed or wounded there since the start of the war with Hamas five months ago. Addressing a session of the Human Rights Council in Geneva, he said all of Gaza's 2.3 million residents are at risk of famine. There appear to be no bounds to, no words to capture the horrors that are unfolding before our eyes in Gaza. Since early October, over 100,000 people have been killed or wounded. Let me repeat that. About one in every 20 children, women and men, are now dead or wounded. At least 17,000 children are orphaned or separated from their families, while many more will carry the scars of physical and and emotional trauma lifelong. The attacks on Israeli civilians on 7 and 8 October were shocking, profoundly traumatizing and totally unjustifiable. The killing of civilians reports of torture and sexual violence inflicted by Hamas and other Palestinian armed groups, and the holding of hostages since that time are appalling and entirely wrong. And so is the brutality of the Israeli response. The war in Gaza must end. Clear violations of international human rights and humanitarian laws, including war crimes and possibly other crimes under international law, have been committed by all parties at imminent risk of famine. Almost all are drinking salty and contaminated water. Healthcare across the territory is barely functioning. Just imagine what this means for the wounded and for people suffering infectious disease outbreaks. In northern Gaza, where the operational space for humanitarian work is now almost zero, many 
are already believed to be starving. UN High Commissioner Volker Turk. Israel's ambassador to the UN institutions in Geneva, Merav Elon Shachar, told the session that the offensive in Gaza is part of Israel's duty to its population to ensure that never again can Hamas attack us. Israel is at war with a terrorist organization that perpetrated one of the most heinous and deadly terrorist attacks of modern times. In the early hours of October 7th, thousands of terrorists, yes, terrorists, Mr. High Commissioner, not simply armed groups, entered Israel, leaving devastation in their wake. By nightfall, over 1,200 innocent people had been butchered, with countless others subjected to unspeakable acts of violence at the hands of Hamas. The minimal reference to these horrific acts in your statement today is an affront to the victims and supports those who seek to remove these crimes from the narrative altogether. Israel is fighting in a battlefield that Hamas has created in Gaza. Israel has a duty to its population to ensure that never again can Hamas attack our lands, never again can it seek to eradicate our people. Sitting behind me today are Aviva Siegel and Raz Ben-Ami. For over 50 days, these two courageous women endured unspeakable horrors in Hamas captivity. As we speak, their husband, Keith and Oad, are still languishing in Gaza. Israel's ambassador to UN institutions in Geneva, Meirav Elon Shahar. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, in a televised address this evening, reiterated commitment to achieving total victory over Hamas, doing so while evacuating civilian populations from areas of fighting, addressing humanitarian needs, and upholding international law. This while resisting international pressure, including from our closest friends, he said, to end the war prematurely. Turning to the public row over draft exemptions for yeshiva students, Netanyahu said there will never be total agreement on this issue, but it is possible to reach understandings on quotas of service. He also outlined benefits that would be issued to discharged soldiers, including in purchasing a first home. Netanyahu said that this is not the time for national elections. An allusion or to response to remarks made by Defense Minister Yoav Gallant last night regarding the need for agreement of all coalition factions on a military on a yeshiva draft law. Defense Minister Gallant, who set up the political storm last night with his declaration that a law in the military draft of ultra-Orthodox must have the support of all the coalition factions, toured the northern Gaza Strip today and met with members of the Haredi Netzach Yehuda Battalion. Gallant said he thinks the entire Israeli public and certainly the defense establishment and Israeli government recognize and respect the importance of studying Torah. You are the best example of this, he said. Gallant last night declared he would only back legislation resolving the issue of military draft exemptions for the ultra-Orthodox if it is endorsed by all coalition members. This includes the centrist National Unity Party. Gallant's position, along with growing pressure on the government to reach a resolution to this long-deferred political hot potato, could set up a crisis with the Haredi Orthodox Party's key to the survival of the current coalition.
urging lawmakers to address a situation in which most ultra-Orthodox men can skip mandatory service in favor of religious studies, Gallant said, that manpower strains on the army amid fighting in Gaza and on the northern border requires contribution of all sectors of society. This insistence on the law supported by the National Unity Party lawmakers is likely to dismiss any chance of the coalition being able to pass a Haredi-friendly bill without reaching across the aisle to those opposed to the large-scale exemptions. The announcement was welcomed by Gantz, but met with immediate Haredi Orthodox backlash and vague threats that the issue could bring down the government. The issue of the exemptions has crept back to the fore of the political agenda in recent weeks after the IDF announced plans to add time on to mandatory service terms for military recruits and to delay retirement for some reservists while also raising the number of days they must serve annually as it prepares for extended fighting in Gaza and the possibility of war against the Lebanese terror group Hezbollah. At the same time, the High Court of Justice is due to rule on petitions that were filed over the failure to enlist a rating while funding yeshiva studies and a government resolution from last June which extended the exemptions despite expiration of the relevant law. Prime Minister Netanyahu is expected to meet with Haredi Orthodox leaders in coming days to discuss the crisis over the military draft bill. Results from the Jerusalem municipal elections indicate an unprecedented ultra-Orthodox takeover of the city council with Haredi Orthodox parties winning just over half the seats in the 31-seat legislative body. Reporter Mark Weiss spoke with Laura Wharton from Meretz, elected to the council as one of the four members of the Jerusalem Union list, headed by Yossi Chavilio. The mayor we've had for the last five years, uh, Moshe Leon, will be continuing on for another uh, term. Um, my party, the Jerusalem Union, which is the union of um, left and center parties, um, the Labour Party, Meretz, um, Yeshatid, um, and um, uh, a local party called uh, Saving Jerusalem, together with something called Chavre Hadash, which is a group of um, uh, young people who are part of the um, protest against the government, um, got four seats. Uh, Wake Up Jerusalem, which is this young people's party, got three. Um, the um, ultra-Orthodox, for the first time, have a majority, a majority of 16 out of 31. Um, and uh, we have a number of right-wing parties that are um, rather divided. There's um, two seats from the um, Jewish home, um, two seats, or one seat of Likud, um, and so forth. Um, so what does this mean then? What does this mean for the next five years for Jerusalemites? The mayor uh, has run the council, tried to run the council on a consensual basis in the past. Do you think this will continue? Do you think he will try to um, unite as many of the uh, very different parties together uh, in, in the new council? Um, definitely. I mean, that's what he's tried to do he himself. Of course, he's not ultra-Orthodox. He's a national religious. And he um, didn't make an attempt. It was not always um, satisfied with his, with results, but he didn't make an attempt um, to balance things out. And he already came out with a statement that I heard 
on the radio saying that he wants to have as broad a coalition as possible and certainly wants um, uh, the secular representatives like myself uh, in the coalition with him. So I think that's a good sign. I won't say that I don't have uh, concern about the non-Haredi population, the Zionist population in the city, um, because we haven't had to deal with a um, you know, majority like that. But I do know that the mayor is very um, interested and concerned with keeping a balance and making sure that all the different populations get their fair share. Um, and I will certainly be doing my best to make sure that happens. Under what conditions will Jerusalem Union um, join the coalition? Um, well, we have a number of demands. I'm rather not going to them now because we're, we're working on them and I don't want to speak uh, on... Uh, behalf of uh, my partners before we stand it, but I would certainly say that we want the, um, the status quo, so to speak, in terms of um, uh, activities on Shabbat to remain. That is, there are um, restaurants, and entertainment, um, uh, pubs, um, movie cinemas and everything open as the Supreme Court decided should be. We're going to be fighting for a more uh, fair distribution of uh, of the budget and of the city properties, which I think uh, has not been what's always been happening the last few years. And since we've gotten uh, stronger, um, I think it'll be actually easy for to work on uh, for us to do that. Um, I, my fr- a friend of mine who also had a, um, uh, a liberal party and I joined together. We had two seats uh, together the last time. We now have four. Um, and I'm sure we're going to be very, very active in, in fighting for those things. Um, we also have on our um, agenda to look after um, narrowing the gaps between West and East Jerusalem. We did that, or I did that, um, this term somewhat, and there's a lot of work left there. Um, and uh, another thing I'll just mention is the last term we had only five women in the city council. This time we have six. It's not a huge leap and it's not enough. But the six women, um, I'm in touch with them all and we're going to be uh, working hard to make sure that um, women get all their rights uh, and will be a very important part of this um, upcoming of the coalition as it's formed. You have more seats, but the key factor, I think, with most people looking at it is that, as you mentioned, the Haredi, the ultra-Orthodox parties, now have an overall majority for the first time. Don't you think they'll be tempted to push on issues of status quo and trying to close down more things on Shabbat? Um, I'm sure they will, um, except that, first of all, we have um, um, a lot of very active, uh, experienced people um, uh, from my party. We have uh, three of our four have have been in the um, city before, worked in the city before, and know how to um, handle things. Also, I think even the ultra-Orthodox, even for the most practical reasons, understand that it won't be to their benefit benefit if secular and the uh, majority uh, Zionist uh, uh, elements in the city start fleeing. Uh, we work on much higher proportions than the ultra-Orthodox do. We pay taxes and don't get very much exemptions. We are responsible for encouraging being part of a lot of the um, uh, cultural life that uh, the mayor brings us the very important part of the city and also brings in tourists. I don't think the ultra-Orthodox are so short-sighted and foolish to think that if they drive us out of the city, it'll be to their benefit in any way. 
I've heard this a lot, I'm sure you've heard it as well, um, people saying that there is no future for Jerusalem, for the secular, uh, non-Orthodox population, that it's becoming more and more religious. And a lot of these, a lot of the people who say this are people themselves who used to live in Jerusalem. What's your response to that? I think that um, they're very wrong. Um, it's certainly true that there is uh, that the uh, the ultra orthodox have more children, but they're actually leaving the city in greater proportions than their representation in the population because it's expensive for them. So they're actually leaving in droves to Beitar Elite, Modein Elite, and Beit Shemesh. But more important than that, because I don't like uh, making uh, demographic generalizations, I think anyone that looks at the city in terms of its cultural development, in terms of its nightlife, um, in terms of its um, um, educational opportunities has developed hugely over the last few years. I remember when I first came to Jerusalem in, in the 80s, there was one restaurant called Me Vimi that was open on uh, on Shabbat, uh, and there were fights about it, and the Orthodox came to protest. Now there are tens, I think there are more than 80 restaurants and pubs open. Um, there are more cultural centers. We've more than doubled the budget for some of the basic cultural institutions, the City of David Museum, the Science Museum, the Nature Museum. Um, all these places are growing, um, have reached new records in their development. Even the zoo, which is one of the most popular sites in the city, has grown tremendously and added an aquarium. We have now almost 50,000 students studying in the city, uh, students of higher education, which is more than ever before. Um, we have Azulieli, we have uh, Hadassah in addition to the Hebrew University and, and other institutions of higher education. Uh, the Betalel um, School of Art, the best in the country, has just opened in a new building in the center of town. Um, we have three other, uh, we have an acting school that opened. Um, we have Benitan uh, Latif. We have a huge amount of activity and developments. What used to be kind of an abandoned building, the um, former Shalit Tzedek Hospital is now a center for activity of NGOs. And the Klal building, which was an empty white elephant for a long time, a big building in the middle of the city, is now going to be uh, a home for NGOs who will all be um, applying to get uh, different rooms uh, or different offices in it. I think um, Jerusalem is, is going to be fine. Um, the last thing I'll say is even in terms of the economics, um, now they are building, in the process of building, um, a million and a half square meters of um, space for offices and commerce at the end of the city. That'll bring in more city taxes, uh, which will be good for helping us balance the budget and getting more to invest in our education, our young people, our entertainment, culture. Um, so I, I remain optimistic. Um, and even if there are people who are leaving to some of the suburbs, I have no problem with people coming from Mivateret, living in Mivateret, and coming in to see movies and, and going to the theater in Jerusalem. What's important to me is, is the public life and where people live. If it's um, in the heart of Jerusalem as I live or in a suburb outside, as long as they continue to help in the development of the city, I think, um, you know, we can live with that. Laura Wharton from Merits elected to the council as one of the four members of the Jerusalem Union List. More news coming up, but first Yuval Dayan, Achetachzor, until you return.
Headlines this evening. Two Israelis are murdered in a terror shooting attack near the settlement Ali. The gunman, a Palestinian police officer, is shot and killed. Palestinians say 100 people were killed in a crush around humanitarian aid trucks in the Gaza Strip. Hamas blames Israel. IDF says it did not fire on the crowd and the casualties occurred in the stampede. President Biden says the Gaza incident will complicate talks on the hostage release. Rocket barrages on northern Israel from Lebanon throughout the day. No reported injuries. 
Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu regarding the defense minister's call for broad agreement regarding a law on the enlistment of yeshiva students says it is impossible to to reach total agreement, but he said it is possible to find understandings regarding quotas for the draft of ultra-Orthodox. The weather outlook, warmer with possible haze tomorrow, chance of light local rain overnight in the north, spreading to the center. Ahead of the Muslim holy month of Ramadan, which is expected to begin on March 10th, National Security Minister Itamar Ben-Gvir has demanded restricting entry of Arab Israelis to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. The War Cabinet reportedly decided to strip Ben-Gvir of authority to decide about the Temple Mount because of concerns about a possible flare-up. Ben-Gvir's demands are no longer being considered, according to reports. Instead, the War Cabinet will make a decision about Ramadan Temple Mount policy. Ben-Gvir said afterwards, I expect the Prime Minister to deny that he has been led by the nose by Gantz's, referring to Cabinet Minister Benny Gantz's preconception. Government spokesperson Avi Hyman asked about the issue in an online briefing today, said that the matter of prayer on the Al-Aqsa Mosque during Ramadan is still under discussion. I'll say that Ramadan is coming and uh, we wish a Ramadan Karim to uh, all of the Israeli Muslims. Um, mosques across the country will be open. There will be prayers and uh and, and commemoration of Ramadan across Israel, because Israel is a state that honors and respects all religions and freedom of religion. The specific issue of prayer on the Temple Mount, the uh, on in uh, Al Aqsa, um, is currently still under discussion by the cabinet. Um, we are awaiting a final um, update. From um, from security sources, including the police, etc., who will give their full security uh, evaluation, and we will then make a decision based on uh, on ensuring um, that both people can pray, the ability to pray, while also ensuring uh, security um, and uh, all, all of the uh, health um, issues related to having a a large crowd um, at any site, at any time. Government spokesperson Avi Hyman and Prime Minister Netanyahu asked about the issue this evening and his televised remarks denied that Minister Ben-Gvir had been distanced from the deliberations and he said that Israel allows freedom of worship. Civil administration personnel accompanied by border police today dismantled two illegal outposts, Deyonatan and Ormeir. Deyonatan, close to Michmash, north of, northeast of Jerusalem, was built on private Palestinian land, the civil administration said, and had been established and demolished several times in the last two years. Ormeir, situated close to Ofra, was also built on private Palestinian land. Residents of southern Israel have voiced fierce criticism that their communities were not included in the Tukuma administration's plan for the rehabilitation of the Western Negev after the October 7th massacre. Carmen Al-Makias Amos, one of the leaders of the Okef Yisrael initiative that acts to promote the interests of these cities, told Khan, 
How can it be that Ashkelon and Nitivot and Ofakim, which were invaded by terrorists and experienced unending rocket fire, are not included? How is it thinkable that in Ofakim, where 50 people were massacred, a city in post-trauma, people have to prove that they were emotionally scarred? Evacuated residents of Kiryachmona also expressed criticism. Mayor Avichai Stern told Khan evacuees have been living for four months in more than 220 hotels and apartments throughout Israel. And the tourism ministry had stopped paying the apartment owners and the residents were scared they would be forced to move again. Searches continue in spots surrounding areas for nine-year-old Haimanut Kasau, who went missing four days ago. The incoming spot mayor, Yossi Kakon, visited the police command center in charge of the search along with the search volunteers. That was She was last seen on Sunday night when security camera footage showed her entering the building of the absorption center in Svat. Her family said she had gone there to distribute flyers for the municipal elections. The Cost of Living Committee has approved the Economy Ministry's reform plan that cancels the requirement of meeting Israeli standards criteria for the import of any items sold and marketed in the European Union. The move follows an okay from the Health Ministry. Once approved by the Ministerial Committee, a law memorandum will be submitted next week to begin an expedited process to pass legislation on the matter to be concluded by the end of the winter session. Meanwhile, Economy Minister Nir Barkat announced that he added food giant Strauss to a blacklist of companies that raised prices during wartime. Barkat is demanding that companies commit to lowering the prices of their products to levels prior to the October 7th massacre. In a statement announcing the move, Barkat called on the public to buy wisely. Strauss announced that since the start of the war, it is not canceling price increases that already came into effect, but promised to freeze the new prices down the road. Attorney General Gali Baharav Miara has decided at the recommendation of the state attorney to bring charges of aggravated assault of police, uh, of a police officer against opposition Knesset member Ofer Kasif. She made the decision after holding a hearing for Kasif and rejecting the arguments he made against the proceedings. The incident in question occurred in May 2022 in an argument that erupted with a police officer when Kasif was trying to reach a demonstration against the evacuation of Palestinians from their homes in the southern Hebron Hills area. Turning to news abroad, Britain's Prince William visited a London synagogue today to hear about a sharp upsurge in anti-Semitism since Hamas's October 7th massacre in Israel. This comes a week after the heir to the throne called for an end to the Israel-Hamas war in Gaza in a rare political foray. William met with young ambassadors from the Holocaust Educational Trust who are seeking to tackle hatred amid soaring anti-Semitism in Britain. During his visit to the Western Marble Arch Synagogue, the prince, who wore a kippah, listened to Jewish students as they recounted how there had been what one described as an explosion in anti-Semitism, including death threats and assaults. He also met with 94-year-old Holocaust survivor Renee Salt to hear of her experiences. The visit comes a day after British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak announced $68 million of new funding to protect Jewish communities in Britain against anti-Semitism over the next four years. Our London correspondent, Jerry Lewis, says the funding will be used to increase security at a range of Jewish buildings across the country, including schools and synagogues providing measures such as security guards, closed-circuit television, and alarm systems. 
According to the Jewish advisory body Community Security Trust, Britain recorded thousands of anti-Semitic incidents since the outbreak of the Israel-Hamas war, making 2023 the worst year for UK anti-Semitism since its records began in 1984. In a speech to the Community Security Trust's annual dinner last night, Sunak called shock and wrong the prejudice seen, shocking and wrong the prejudice seen in recent months. It is shocking and wrong the prejudice, the racism that we've seen in recent months. That Hamas attack of October the 7th was the most abhorrent act of terrorism against Israel that any of us have ever known. And it's been followed by record levels of anti-Semitism in this country that are utterly, utterly sickening. And don't let anyone try and tell you that this is just a reaction to the response of the Israeli government as unacceptable as that would be. The highest weekly total of anti-Semitic incidents came before Israel responded. It is hatred pure and simple. An assault on the Jewish people here in this country, in this century. And I tell you tonight, we will fight this anti-Semitism with everything that we've got. We must also be far bolder and more assertive in defending our British values. We've got to end this passive tolerance of words and actions that go against what we stand for. Yes, you can march and protest with passion. You can demand the protection of civilian life. But no, you cannot call for jihad. There is no context in which it is acceptable to beam anti-Semitic tropes onto Big Ben. And there is no cause that you can use to justify the support of a prescribed terrorist group like Hamas. And yes, you can freely criticise the actions of this government, the Israeli government, or indeed any government, but no... You cannot use that as an excuse to call for the eradication of a state or any kind of hatred or anti-Semitism. These statements are fundamental to the liberal democratic values that define Britain. They are the very essence of our identity, of who we are as a country, To belong here is to believe in these things, to stand up for these things, and it's time we were much, much clearer about this. The British Prime Minister also vowed that Britain would continue working to see the release of the hostages held in Gaza and spoke out against those calling for a permanent ceasefire that would leave Hamas in control. We will continue to use our diplomatic efforts to free the hostages through an immediate humanitarian pause earlier this month. I met the families of Emily Damari, Nadav Popplewell, Eli Sharabi, and Oded Lifshitz. Their harrowing ordeal is beyond heartbreaking. We have to bring them home. And we must work towards the long-term future that we all want to see of a safe and secure Israel with Palestinians living in dignity on a pathway to a viable Palestinian state. 
But we don't achieve anything by calling for a permanent ceasefire without those hostages being returned and Hamas being removed from Gaza. A permanent ceasefire without those things isn't a ceasefire at all. It is a victory for Hamas and this government will not stand for it. British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. The IDF spokesperson, Rear Admiral Daniel Hagari, is giving his evening briefing at this hour a short while ago. He said of the stampede and in Gaza by the aid convoy that dozens of Palestinians were killed in the crush. He stressed, we did not fire at the aid convoy, not from the ground, not from the air. We secured the convoy, Hagari said. Hagari also had severe words regarding Israeli protesters who this afternoon breached the IDF checkpoint by the Erez crossing, calling it very severe and illegal. It's been released for publication, the name of one of the two Israelis killed in this evening's shooting attack by a Lee, Yitzhak Tsiger, 57 years old, of Shavay Shamron. U.S. President Joe Biden this week won the Michigan primary with 81%, but 13% or more than 100,000 people cast uncommitted ballots in a state where a large Arab American community and other progressive Democrats have vented their anger at Biden's support of the Israeli military offensive in the Gaza Strip. The votes are enough to send two uncommitted delegates to the Democrats' national convention in August. Professor David Schultz of Hamline University told Reuters that Biden cannot afford to lose Michigan in the upcoming general election if he hopes to win re-election. With many young progressives in the U.S. voicing concern over the war in Gaza, Schultz, a political scientist, noted that the issue could be critically important not only in key swing states with high numbers of Arab-American voters, but also in states with large university populations. He was speaking to Reuters. Here, with Michigan having gone for what? Trump in 16, Biden in 20. It's, it's, it, it's, it's critical. And so what happened is that this population, because of his views, perhaps on 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 the Israeli war, uh, on, Pal- on on the Palestinians, uh, opted to say they're not going to vote for him. The question becomes, what will they do in November? I certainly can't see these voters going over and voting for Donald Trump, given where where they're lined up. What it means, though, is they might not vote hit for him, or they might vote for a third party candidate. And in the logic of small numbers just shifting maybe a few thousand votes, even if people just stay home, that could cost Joe Biden, not just Michigan, but the presidency. It becomes, I'm going to call it a tipping point event, a tipping point where we're st- we were starting to see trends, but to what extent does does Gaza become sort of that tipping point that accelerates that trends are out there? About every 30 to 40 years, political scientists note that there are some elections that are what they call critical realignments that involve a shuffling around of constituencies, a shift in terms of policy positions. And we started seeing that with Obama. We started seeing the movement of of college-educated suburban whites who historically voted Republican moving over to the Democratic Party. We started seeing a shifting of way of working class 
from the from the Democrats over to Republicans. So I think we're in the middle of this maybe multi-election reshifting of the electoral alignment in the United States, and and Gaza just sort of becomes what the, this event that stands out maybe for um, Arab Americans or Palestinians Americans that becomes the all right i've had enough with the democrats it's time to move move on and find somebody else now whether that means they're going to become reliable republicans it's not clear could they become a swing voter possibly yes four years ago young people came out in record numbers to um, to support joe biden over donald trump but this year if we look at polls nationwide they're at best lukewarm about joe biden you know, some of it may be age, but some of it is also, as we're starting to see also in polls, about his stance on Gaza. And I, th- I think um, this this comes at a probably a dismay for Joe Biden, who was probably not expecting that this was going to be such a, a flashpoint issue for him to deal with. One of the things I think Biden was not expecting last October is clearly this war. And I think he was hoping to run on pocketbook issues, argue that inflation's coming down. It's maybe not quite as bad as the gas tank or at the grocery store. Um, employment's looking pretty good. I think he wanted to try to run on the economy issue. And what's happened is that because of the war, he's lost, I think, some of that ability to be able to talk about the basic pocketbook issues. And when we normally think about the factors that motivate people, it's usually what? It's, it's, it's the economy. You know, it's, it's, it's those basic you know, pocketbook issues. And increasingly, what I see happening in this election, unless things change dramatically, this is not going to be an election that so much revolves around the economy. It's going to be Gaza. It's going to be the immigration. It may be reproductive rights issues. Uh, it could be a whole bunch of other things that have pushed that to the side. My October surprise, I mean, could be, of course... Uh, a possible Trump conviction. It could be a health issue for one of the two candidates. I would not rule out some decision by Israel um, in the closing weeks of the election in October, a choice that does not make life very comfortable for Joe Biden. Political scientist, Professor David Schultz. Before the weather and return headlines, a bit of music. Tvelia, Micha Shitrit.
שלוש, כמו ברומא, כמו בפריז, כמו באמריקה. לדפוק את הכהה, לדפוק את הבהיר, לדפוק את הראש חזק בקיר. ניקח כדור, ניקח משקה, ניקח זריקה, כמו באמריקה. נדפוק את השיחה, זה עולה 200 שקל, ונבכה עם ההמנון והנפת הדגל. ניתן לילד שיושב מול המסך, ניתן לו קצת כסף, נגיד שזה כך, כמו באמריקה. כמו באמריקה. אבל את רוצה לנסוע לטבריה. בלעדיי. רוצה לנסוע לטבריה. בשבת. רוצה לנסוע Looks slightly warmer tomorrow, mostly along the coast and the coastal plain. Chance of haze, possible light local rain tomorrow. Night in the north picking up and spreading to the center. The temperatures forecast for tonight and tomorrow. Jerusalem 8 to 19, Tel Aviv 13 to 24, Haifa 13 to 20, Tzfat 8 to 14, Tiberias 9 to 22, Beersheba 12 to 24, and in a lot from 12 degrees tonight going up to 27 degrees Celsius tomorrow. Taking the a look at the headlines this evening, two Israelis are murdered in a terror shooting attack near the settlement Ali. The gunman is shot and killed. Palestinians say 100 people were killed in a crush around humanitarian aid trucks in the Gaza Strip. Hamas blames Israel. The IDF says troops did not fire on the crowd. President Biden says the Gaza incident could complicate talks on a hostage release. Rocket barrages on northern Israel from Lebanon throughout the day. No reported injuries. Prime Minister Netanyahu speaking a day after Defense Minister Gallant said he would only support an IDF draft law that is backed by all coalition parties. Said that anyone who wants complete agreement won't get any agreement. Netanyahu said we'll set out goals for an agreement by consensus to raise the number of Haredi recruits. The weather outlook warmer with possible haze tomorrow. Chance of light local rain overnight in the north spreading to the center. That's the news. Join us tomorrow night at 8 p.m. on Khan Reka, the foreign languages channel of the Israeli Public Broadcasting Corporation. Watch our 2 p.m. news flash on the Khan English Facebook page. Find us on Spotify, Twitter, or write to us at ConEnglish at Khan.org.il. Together with sound engineer Michael Olshvang, this is Nomi Segal wishing you good evening and shalom from Jerusalem.